The reading today is uh, the first from the first letter of, to Corinthians, chapter five. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the man who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you, that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Well, hello everybody. My name's Jeff, one of the pastors here. It is a what it's a quite a heavy passage today, especially listen to what we've just heard and prayed for. So let's uh, focus on this word. It's God's word to us. We just pick the Bible verses and just gradually work through it because we want God to set the agenda. We don't want to be setting an agenda. So that's where we're at with the church uh, and this talk. And it reminds me, just think about this. If uh, someone had COVID and they knew they had COVID and they just kept on mixing in the community, uh, spreading the virus around uh, when they were supposed to be in quarantine for 14 days... You'd think that's not good. <laughs> that's quite a scandal. Especially if they're coughing and their, their breathing is not going well, you'd want officials to actually take them to the hospital, wouldn't you? For their sake, but also the sake of the community. Well, in this passage today, the Corinthians had something much worse happening than that. It was actually a double scandal, and it's gone viral. Everybody knows. 
And uh, you read about it in the verse, uh, verse 1, and it says, It is actually reported there is sexually immorality amongst you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So there's a man in Corinth there in the church, and it's an ongoing established sexual relationship with his father's wife. It's not called the mother there, so maybe it's the stepmother it's referring to. But either way, it's ugly. And now this is clearly against Scripture. In Leviticus 18, it says that. It's also condemned by the pagans. The Roman society wouldn't have thought this was acceptable. Corinthian was a really wild city. (laughs) And they would have seen it as outrageous as well. So the first scandal is that this man is calling himself a Christian, a fellow brother, and he's got this ongoing inappropriate sexual relation. You'd think that'd be enough as a scandal, wouldn't it? But it goes one step further. Uh, the second scandal is that the congregation knows about it, but doesn't do anything about it. Wow. Let's have a look at verse 2. It says, And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? Uh, and having put this uh, fellow man out of the fellowship by doing this. So in other places, Paul has told him, warned him. Verse 9, he's already written to say, put this man out of the fellowship. But up until now, they've done nothing about it. And for Paul, this is a tremendous scandal. Maybe they justify it. Uh, in some way. Maybe the person himself is justifying it some way. If you, if you, in uh, Corinthians 6, verse 12, it, it says, I have the right to do anything. It's basically anything is permissible. <laughs> it's like that's their slogan, the church and the people there. It's some sort of distorted freedom that they've got in Christ. It doesn't really matter if I deliberately sin because everything's permissible apparently. And they're proud about it. That even makes it worse. Paul says, you've got no basis to be proud. <laughs> you haven't got, you're not a church that's got it all together. Rather than being proud, rather than celebrating, they should have been in deep grief, like someone had died, because this person is nearly spiritually dead. Something's terribly wrong. Such a serious breach calls for stern measures here and Paul says this man for his sake he needs to be put out of the congregation and for the health of the whole church as well verse 2 what I just read there he's saying put this person out of the fellowship verse 5 it says hand this person over to Satan wow verse 11 it says don't even eat with such a person then again in verse 13 expel the wicked man You get the point loud and clear here. They're stern measures, aren't they, but? Casting a person out to hand someone over to Satan. It's a strange expression, isn't it? I think he's saying that in the church, it's made up of people that acknowledge Jesus as Lord and that are under Jesus' rule quite outwardly. People outside the church are under Satan's rule, under his influence. In Satan's realm. So when he's saying hand the person over to Satan, he's basically saying, put him out of the church. <laughs> well, now this leads to my first point. Discipline is good as it can restore an individual. Discipline is good as it could restore an individual. 
So why are they casting this person out? You do so for his sake. See, let's have a look at all verse 5. It says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. See, the problem for this man is that he calls himself a Christian, but he's not acting like a Christian, not even willing to repent. He clearly is living in a way defying God's will for his life. He's not wanting to bow the knee in this particular era of the life to God's rule. He's saying he's a Christian but behaving as a non-Christian. He's not even struggling with the sin. He's not trying to seek to change. (laughs) He's someone justifying that sin. He's quite complacent with the sin. Now these things are not the same thing. Struggling or justifying. If we were to expel everybody struggling with their sin in church today, guess who would be here next Sunday? No one. (laughs) We'd all be expelling each other, right, left and centre. Jesus assumes in the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray, forgive us of your sins. Forgive us our sins. It reminds us, well, it reminds me like if a pig, if a pig fell into mud, what would they do? They'd enjoy the mud, wouldn't they? But if you or I fell or slipped in some mud, what would we do? We'd get out of that mud pretty quickly and clean ourselves up. This man is staying in the mud. He's stuck in the mud and it's no game. He's stuck in sin, not repenting. And this puts the whole question of his salvation at risk. Cast him out, says Paul so that the sinful nature might be destroyed. Stop treating him like a Christian and maybe he'll realise that he's not acting like a Christian and that he will turn from his sinful pattern of life and be saved. He will turn to Jesus. He'll turn to Jesus as his Lord and Saviour instead of ignoring him. Similar a bit to the prodigal son once said, the prodigal son didn't get sent out, but he went out of his own accord, out into Satan's realm, outside his loving father's support and care. He lived it up. He did the wine, women and song thing. And he realised listening to his sinful nature got him nowhere. Following his sinful nature got him to the lowest of lows. And... He actually wanted to not listen to his sinful nature. He wanted to destroy it. He wanted to put it to death. Because all it got him was stuck in the mud with pigs. He knew that under his father's care, it was a lot better life. So he repented. He was saved. He was brought back into the family. And they had to celebrate. That is what Paul wants for this man. To cast him out so that they can welcome him back later. See, discipline is good as it could restore an individual. But you might be saying, well, to cast him out straight out, straight away, that seems a bit harsh, Jeff. Well, 1 Corinthians 5 is the last word you say to someone in that situation. Not the first word. 
the first word you'd say is something like Matthew 18, that person. When Jesus says, look, if a brother or sister is, is struggling in a sin, get alongside them privately to encourage them to repent. And if they listen to you, wow, you've won them over, you beauty. Well, that's not in the original. That's Jeff's, you know, Aussie version there. But if they don't listen to you, it then says, which happens sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we're caught in our sin and we get very pig-headed and we want to justify our sin and we don't listen to the person. And when I became a Christian, that happened to me one time. I was so reckless in my driving still and all that. One guy said something to me. I, I just ignored it. A few guys had to come to me and rebuke me. And that's when I listened and I took it on board because they, they loved me. They wanted the best for me. But some people still don't listen. And so if they still don't listen, take it to the church, take it to the leadership and get them to, to confront the person. If they still refuse to listen, you know, you're praying for them, you're pleading with them, you're crying, you're, you're trying to support them, then go to 1 Corinthians 5 and begin to treat the person like an unbeliever. Now, all this is done for the sake of the brother or sister who is sinning, trying to get them to turn. It's not a punishment or anything like that. It's all about restoration. We're not trying to be like the mafia. You know, what does the mafia do? They break legs of ex-members when they break the code of the group. That's the mafia. <laughs> they punish people if you break their code. No, no. Here, it's not punishment. It's restoration. It's wanting him to come to his senses. So when it's done, it's done with grief. It's done with tears. It's not a joy. It's not a form of revenge or getting back at that person. It's about repentance and their salvation. So now, the lovely thing about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians together here is that you've got 2 Corinthians after 1 Corinthians. It's like a sequel to a movie. Because you want to know what happens to this rebellious man, don't you? You're thinking, well, is he going to keep rebelling? And where is his life going to go? Or is he going to turn and change? What happens? Well, 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is talking about someone that grieved this congregation deeply. And they had to discipline this person. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about when this man has turned around, welcome this person back. Forgive them. Comfort them. Don't rub their nose into it. That's beautiful. We see the sequel of the movie. Well, let's get back to 1 Corinthians 5 because that must have been effective for this man. It's fantastic. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 5, you can start seeing that this kind of thing, this step, the final step in the process is necessary so that this man might turn. For the man's sake, it's necessary. But more than that, it's actually necessary for the sake of the whole church, the health of the whole church. Just like with coronavirus, you don't want to get out there to everybody and potentially killing more people. This could spiritually start killing people. So that leads to my second point. The second point is discipline is good for the church's holiness. Discipline is good for the church's holiness as a whole. Discipline shows God's people take sin seriously. Discipline shows 
God's holiness and the holiness of the church is to be taken seriously. To make that point, God uses an unusual example from MasterChef. You just can't say MasterChef. You've got to say MasterChef. A bread-baking example about taking church holiness seriously. Let's have a look at verse 6 and 7. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So he reminds of the Jewish Passover. It's celebrated annually where the people remember them, how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And how on that night they were rushing out of Egypt so quickly that they didn't want to wait for the bread to rise. They didn't put any yeast in and they had unleavened bread, flat bread. But when Jesus rescues us from slavery, not from Egypt, but slavery from our sins, Jesus becomes that sacrifice, our Passover lamb. And he was crushed for our sins. So how do we remember this? How do we celebrate this? Well, we don't rid sin, uh, rid uh, yeast from our, our bread. We get and rid sin from our lives. So Paul says, sin is like, like yeast. Uh, you just need a little small amount of yeast and then it spreads through the dough and puffs it up. It's just like with sin. Sin in a community can spread through the whole community, corrupt the whole community. It can only just be one person or some uh, uh, small sins. And it can lead people away from Christ and the way we're supposed to live. Paul says, rid ourselves of that yeast of sin as we remember our Passover lamb. Otherwise, that sin will spread through the whole community. It won't be a holy community anymore. If someone here's house is starting to get on fire and you happen to be walking past their house at the time, would you not warn them before it's fully destroyed? Well, let us be prepared to warn each other about something more important and more dangerous. See, let's say there's a couple in church and they're going out with each other and they start sleeping together. And we say, oh, it's fine. You know, that's young people. You know, they've got the press of the world. Everybody's not perfect. <laughs> what would that do to our community here? That would be like a virus, wouldn't it? That sin would be spreading. Because you get other people be looking on and say, well, no one's rebuking them. It seems like it's okay. Maybe it's okay for us too. Paul says, that's not what you are. It's not what God has made you to be. You're not to be a community full of yeast, full of this sin. Rid ourselves this sin of malice and wickedness, it says. Get rid of the old yeast and be a new batch without yeast. That's what you really are. Have this sincerity, have this truth in our lives. See, Christ was crushed for our sins. That Christ paid for you that you're now in his family, a child. Now let's live how we really are. So we are to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. 
no to porn, and yes to guarding the marriage bed. No to greed, and yes to be generous towards the church and others. No to self-centeredness, and yes to serving at church and serving others. No to getting drunk and drugs, and yes to walking by the Spirit. Paul says, get rid of sin in your life. Don't pat yourself on the back and think, oh, I'm quite proud because we're an open church. We're an accepting community. People could say of us, if we're like this, you're quite narrow as a church. However, Jesus is saying, broad is the way that's leading to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But people might say, well, you're quite unloving as a church if you're treating people like that. Isn't God a God of love? Yes, he is a God of love. He loves his glory. He loves his holy name. He loves his church. God loves his son that was crushed for our sins. And he loves his people when they humbly submit to him, when we repent and seek forgiveness. So you think, wow, this discipline must be for everybody. But let's have a look at point three. It says discipline is not for the outsider, but for the insider. So in verse nine, Paul begins, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. See, the Christian is not um, to be a, like a monastic monk, you know, existing all by themselves, shaving their head and uh, withdrawing from the world. I'm an extrovert. I can't withdraw from the world. Christian people are made to rub shoulders with the non-believers. That is uh, a significant part of how God's made us for a purpose, to be in the world, to live in the world, but not of the world. But Paul says in verse 11, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister. Ah, see? There's a difference in a, in a sort of accountability between members of the fellowship and people outside the fellowship. See, verse 11 says, I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anybody who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral Greedy, idolater, slander, drunkenness, swindler. Not even eat with such a person. So he's not just going for the sexual sins. He's going for other things as well. That's the first thing I've noticed. The other thing I've noticed is sometimes I think we've got this back to front. We've got this upside down. Because is it possible to be some, sometimes quite tolerant with sins amongst us as God's people and quite intolerant to the sins of the world. Can you imagine us tolerating unrepentant greed in our midst? Or tolerating someone that continues to make their work an idol, or their studies an idol? Or continuing to, to let someone be harsh in their words in an ongoing way? And we find sometimes excuses for those things, or those people, or what's going on, or excuses for ourselves. Is it possible that we tolerate sin within our own church, 
but are quite sometimes intolerant to unbelieving unbelievers and their sin. We can be quite judgmental for people outside the church. It's certainly Christians that have got a name for ourselves and saying no to this, no to that behaviour for other people out there. And we can come across as quite hypocritical if they start seeing ourselves here. We're being the spiritual cops for the world. I want to welcome anybody here that is not a Christian today. It's great that you are here. And I want to apologise on behalf of the Christians that if we've expected you to act like a Christian when you're not a Christian, that's not great. Because the first thing I want us to be doing with you is sharing the good news about Jesus, the forgiveness that he offers, which eventually will make a tremendous impact on your lifestyle. But at first, I want to talk about Jesus with you, not about morals, because morals doesn't get us to heaven there. Saved by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, gets us to heaven. And then that will shape your life and change your life. Once you know you're forgiven, you'll forgive others. Once you know you're loved, you'll love others. It will change you right around. See, Paul says in verse 13, 12 and 13, what business is of mine to judge those outside the church? This is the apostle of Jesus Christ. He's saying, no, that's off bars for me. Are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside the church. Expel the wicked person from amongst you. See, we get it back to front sometimes. Well, the big issue here of 1 Corinthians 5 is what are we going to do with the sin when we see it around us in our brothers and sisters? Do we do nothing? Do we say, oh, that's their business, that's something private, or that's her business, that's his business? instinctively we might react and say, well, that's, we don't want to be judgmental. But when he says don't judge others in, the, in God's word, he's basically saying don't be judgmental, be humble. He's basically saying take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck out of someone else's eyes. Some people say, oh, take the log out of your own eye and no, we can't judge the other person. No, he's saying no, so you can be humble to actually gently plead and pray for them to take the speck out of your own eye. You know, if you've got a, a speck in your eye, you don't like it, isn't it? It's very irritating. If someone else has got a speck, let's help them gently remove it. So to the point, we want to be loving. Some people think it's unloving. But parents get this, don't they? We get it. Loving, it's loving to discipline our children sometimes. Now, some parents actually do it too harsh, their discipline, but that doesn't mean that we write off discipline altogether. There is a place for loving disciplining our children. Now, initially, it might be a gentle word to them, but then it might step up and be a bit stronger. There might be consequences too for their behaviour. See, it is unloving as a parent to let our child do whatever they want. It is uncaring for a parent to allow a child to keep in that wrong pattern that can be harmful for them and harmful for others. It's the same with us. Not judging can actually be for a cloak of sin, a way of justifying our sin and the sin of others. It's an unloving thing to leave a sinner alone. If a brother or sister has an established pattern of ongoing sin, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? 
See, the loving thing to do is trying to help them understand where they are failing and to restore them gently. What I normally do to someone that is unrepentant but professing to be a Christian, I say one first. If you're calling yourself a Christian, that's one thing. Secondly, if you're enjoying fellowship with us, that's the second thing. The third thing, and you're not wanting to destroy that sin, you're justifying a sin. I'd say to them, one of these things have to go. All three things can't stay. Either first you stop calling yourself a Christian or you move out of the fellowship or the really lovely thing we'd like you to do is stop sinning. Turn from that because it hurts God. Put to death that sin like all of us need to do. Well, ongoing repentant, unrepentant puts brothers and sisters at risk of their salvation. We need to be committed to each other, to love each other, care for each other. And it's not in isolation. You need to be already in a relationship with people, caring for people. So when you're saying this, they know you've got their back. They know you care for them. It begins with a gentle word first. It might go to a stronger word later on. But sometimes we need to go. Some people just leave because they know they're a sinner and they uh, exclude themselves from this fellowship. But some that won't, well, we might have to painfully have to say with tears in our eyes, look, you're not welcome here. It doesn't mean you never see them or catch up with them or you see them on the road with a broken tie. You say, oh, it serves them right. No, no, we, we might stop and care for them. We might catch, a, catch up with them to see how they're, they're going to, to try and encourage them to repent. But at the same time, you say, look, you're not welcome here. And it might be a big shock for them, but you'd rather have a shock now than at the gates of heaven. This happens in the medical situation as well. People realise um, uh, if they've got a medical condition, it's quite drastic. Sometimes you're in hospital straight the next few days to get that cancer cut out because it could lead to disastrous consequences. We need to be committed so much to each other and God's holiness that we speak the hard word to people. And I want to finish with this. The good thing is that God is just not holy. He is gracious. He's forgiving. So if you've got a sin in this area of your life or in any other area of your life, then there is hope. There's forgiveness. Talk to someone, a mature person or something. Talk to God about this. Ask for forgiveness. Repent and change. And let's celebrate that. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being willing to speak to us in your word very personally, very direct. It's because you love us. Please help us to love others around us and help them not to love their sin but to love what you love and hate what you hate. Help us to live for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.